0: Thanks, Brian. Test, test, okay. Uh, At our house, if you've ever been there before, we have a little tree in the backyard with a uh, stone bench underneath it. Uh, It's very weathered and it's been there long before we have been there. And its title is Walking with Grandma and Grandpa. I'll read it for you. It says, I like to walk with Grandma and Grandpa. Their steps are short like mine. They never say, now hurry up. They always take their time. Most people have to hurry, they never stop to see. I'm so glad God made grandparents, unrushed and young like me." That's a sweet rhyme, and maybe even sweeter for those who have seen it or experienced that in your own life, in your own family. Um, The image of one who is far advanced in their years, decades and years, uh, with one who is few years and few months. When they're walking together, hand in hand, step and step together, uh, you see the love that they have for one another. Uh, It's almost like the the love that God has for us that we saw in the garden originally, right? God walking with Adam and Eve, walking and abiding. Those things, abiding is another way of seeing and talking about walking with one another. So this image, walking and step, hand in hand, abiding, staying with one another, caring in a, a relationship between each other, Um, Those things are beautiful. And it's it's kind of the way God intended it. The more you do of one, the more it spurs the other, walking and abiding, abiding and walking. Today, I want us to see how, in the same way, love and truth go hand in hand together. Uh, I want you to leave today, or whenever you hear this sermon, to see from our text that God the Father has set apart the church through the ministry of Jesus to walk in love and abide in his truth Of course, that is all by the Holy Spirit. In the first half, I want us to see how the love of God the Father that so clearly calls us to walk in love as well. And second, I want us to see how we are to abide in the truth of Jesus that we may not be deceived. Um, So let us walk through this text together this morning. Uh, To give some context, uh, we see 2 John starting again his letter, the elder, and it's pretty clear. Biblical scholars even labeled the, type, the letter Second John. We, we know and confirm that it is 2 John. We've been taking a break from our Gospel of John, and in years past we've uh, walked through the first letter of John. So a lot of these words and these phrases, uh, the writing styles will seem familiar and even kind of help us maybe get back on track in a few weeks coming ahead, going back into John. Um, but John uh, is not, again, not the, the John the Baptist, the one who was coming with power and in the spirit of Elijah to, to prepare the way of the Lord. No, this is the disciple John who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus throughout his ministry. Um, one other way to confirm that or you know, help us know that it's not John, is the way he talks about himself. In the gospel he says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Here he doesn't say, I John right? to you, no it says I, the elect or the elder. right? Uh, this is the John who was one of the last remaining disciples to live on this earth. He again wrote a, a gospel account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. We have three letters from him as well as the book of Revelation. He's writing it some 60 or 50 years after um, the, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, while he's likely living in one of the churches in Asia whom he will write to eventually. When imprisoned on the of Patmos in the book of Revelation, in those first few chapters of Revelation. Uh, so again, we can see many of the same words, the thoughts, the themes, the phrases, the logic, uh, writing styles, and we have to concede that this is really John writing this letter. Um, by the end of today, you may think I sound like a broken record, but I'm really just repeating a lot of his words and his ideas, okay? So uh, it is Using John's letter, building up and referring to all his other works, his his gospel, his letters, the book of Revelation. So, uh, so thankful because only in 13 verses, I can't really he doesn't really go all all in depth. But we are able to to go back and see um, building up on those foundations that he's already been working on, and even so, building up and working on the rest of the Bible as well. So we can see that. what he wants us looking forwards and backwards to help explain to exhort to warn what god in his infinite wisdom would have us know for for his people then and for us today for our church today so Lord, let me pray lord we thank you for your word which so clearly speaks for your spirit which can so clearly guide us and for christ who has a perfect example for us help us lord to have hearts to able to listen and to obey all that you have commanded. Amen. So 2nd John, uh, again it's an epistle, a letter. The the first two words, the elder we that's the from if you're ever writing a letter, you know. Uh, the next thing you usually have is the to, right? The the dear John or dear so and so. Here it says to the elect lady. And you will see for the rest of the book and probably already surmised that this is not a lady, kids, all right? This is not Mrs. John. Uh, In fact, it may be more so like Mrs. Jesus. He's talking about the church. John uses similar language as far as the church being the bride of Christ. Um, And if you're ever writing a package or see the attention to, this this is the attention church trying to get our attention here. Um, But... John accurately uses that word "elect" and intentionally uses that word "elect," not as a democratic election, um, but as an election from the God, from God, uh, which we'll we'll come back to and hit on later. But in this case, it is written to a specific church, likely one of the ones again in the seven and the beginning of Revelation. We don't know exactly which one, but it is very applicable. Obviously, it's in our Word. Canonical Bible today that is very applicable then and it is still very applicable for us today. It's to a congregation that is doing well in their knowledge of the Lord, right? But like many of us, it's one that may struggle in loving others, loving one another, like many churches today. So, again, it's good for them then, it's good for us now. So we can read this as almost a letter to our church, to the fields church. So I'll mainly take it that way. Uh, so we have the, the elder, the from, and the two is to the elect lady and her children. This is maybe a similar term used in First John, a term of endearment for young believers, but I think it's slightly different than that. Didn't he just say that it's the elect lady? Or didn't I just say the elect lady was the church, right? Uh, it's, it's like writing a letter, if I were to write it to the Jones and Graham. Is that a little repetitive or redundant? Or is it? Who is, who is the children here? Uh, I think the children are the members of the church that we might say as a congregation, that we are, are sitting in here as a congregation. But we'll see throughout the rest of the letter that John is not assuming that all those who go to church are saved. Not all who attend in a congregation are Christians. That may be something that is shocking in one way sense and not in another, right? So we hope and pray and desire for lost to come into our congregation and come into our midst to hear the word of the Lord that they might be saved. We see it in our children who are raising up that just because they're in our household, born and raised in a Christian household, that doesn't make them a Christian. But along the same line, those that are raised up who may think that they are a Christian, go to church every Sunday, anytime the doors are open, yet, have yet to believe, to be adopted into God's family. Um, It's sad, Um, but all the same. Um, It's something that we should be shocked about, but also not shocked about, right? Um, We see later on, verse 4, that John rejoiced to find your children walking in the truth. But I need to correct myself. He says some of your children walking in the truth, right? That some means that there are some who are not. They have yet to have a regenerative heart. They may be nice and good, moral people, treating the Bible like a checklist, striving so hard, feeling and hoping that that is enough for them to be saved. Sadly, it may be part of our Christian culture today um, that rather keeping high the name of Christ have slowly, slowly, inch by inch, moved away from such a standard, muddied the water, so to speak, or, or lowered the bar like there was ever a bar low enough that we could jump over to be saved. This is sad, this is heartbreaking, but still there is great hope for these. There's hope in the gospel. That's why we preach it every Sunday, every, why we preach it every chance that we can get, whether it be on the first, one hundredth, or one thousandth, or whatever, how many times they hear the gospel, as it says in Romans 10, verse 16. Where it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Ephesians 2 goes on and says, We are saved by grace through faith, right? Faith is the medium by which we are saved, by which we are justified before a holy and awesome God. This comes through the very word of Christ. The Bible that you have in your hands or on your row, please take that home with you. Um, Read it. not that one. We have nicer ones out in the hallway. But that is the truth. That is the book of life that gives life. Um... It is this reason why John is writing these things. He loves them, not for his own love, for his own good or gain, but for the love of God that he has shown us, that his words were made manifest, the truth in Jesus. John loves the church. He loves the congregation, the children. He loves the believers, the unbelievers. Why? Because of the truth that abides in him. Verse 1 also says, but not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. If you remember from last week, Ephesians 1.13, Colton did a great job preaching our hope as the church, and it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Uh, If the word, if the truth of God is revealed to you today, it is not by my own words, um, but by his alone. Not by my mortal flesh that will pass away like the grass that withers or the flower that fades, but by the very word of the Lord that will last forever. So this truth abides in us and will be with us forever. That promised Holy Spirit of God is in us. It gives us new life, a new hope, as we heard last week. Not just forever, though that is enough in this life, too. It is only by his Spirit, as we'll discuss, that allows us to not only know this truth, but to love in truth. John goes on in verse 3, it says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Children, Christ came, he came willingly, not with judgment, but with grace, mercy, and peace. Um, At least I only quote John today when we read 2 Corinthians 5, um, I'll start in 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, grace, mercy, and peace. Or in John 3.16, it goes on, we know 3.16, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We have peace with God through Christ. We have mercy, not getting what we rightly deserve, and we receive much grace, getting what we do not. This is God's love for us. This is the truth that John is talking about. This is the truth. that the some are walking in. And it's definitely, it's something worth praising, right? Rejoicing in his appropriate response when we hear of God's people doing God's will. If we hear churches down the street growing in, in a healthy biblical way, we can praise God. You know, it's not a competition, it's a, it's a cooperation around the gospel. I've only been to a few pastor's conferences, but one of my favorite things is, is hearing of all the ways the fellow workers are, uh, are the elect ladies, the church, what, what they are doing, right? How God is working in their midst, and in turn being able to share and encourage them by what we're doing. It, this is not to bolster our pride or your pride, your self-esteem, but something that should continue to humble us again because of God's love. We talked about in the fields training the past six weeks, the fear of God versus the fear of man, a fine line of a discernment that we need uh, through prayer, reflection, of doing things for the right reason. Are we loving, sacrificing for others out of fear of them? Are we desiring something in return or even avoiding retribution of some sort? No, but because of the great love with which God loved us, we love others. The church that John is writing knows this first part, he says. God's love, this love, knows the truth of it. Just as he says in verse four, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as you were commanded by the Father. This is something I pray that we continue to grow in. Um, This area of knowing him fearing him, gaining wisdom and knowledge of who he is, right? This is what his commandment was in from the beginning, right? Just, just as you were commanded by the Father, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. Those are the signs we do for our girls. John writes in his first letter, First John chapter 2, starting in verse 4, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We ought to walk in love. That leads us back in our text, Second John. I'll just read verse 5. says, and now... You know, now we're getting into the reason why he's writing the letters. Sometimes when you're writing your letter or text message, all the fluff in the beginning says, oh, but now, and now, we're getting into it. The real reason John is writing this letter. And now I ask you, dear lady, church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Um, it would have been good and well enough, and an encouragement to us, the believers, to stay committed to the truth of God, just stopping in verse 4, in a a letter or a text message, or even in a sermon, right? Um, But what has likely happened then, and really what we're all susceptible to, at risk of, is just staying there, where we know all these things, the the knowledge and the truth of who God is, and it's dwelling richly within us, but then we just let it stay there. What a shame, what a waste. Um, Now don't get me wrong, God will accomplish what he has set forth, but we are missing out if we do not partake, if we do not walk in love as he has commanded us. John is writing to remind them, he is writing to remind us today that we should not forget these things. Um, It's like, do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, right kids? You know, This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. That's the idea here. But he goes on in verse 6, kind of describing this commandment. It says, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Clear as mud. (laughs) That's a phrase we like to use. Um, It seems like one of those self-perpetuating machines almost. Just keeps going around and around like, well, what is love? Well, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. What is the commandment? Well, the one that you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in love, or walk in it, walk in love, loving one another. But well what is love? Just keep going around and around. I think a gate or a switch, on-ramp, off-ramp, whatever you want to see it here. Uh, we can see it maybe back in First John, uh, chapter five, verse one. It says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father." loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Um, uh, for, sorry. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Amen. Um, I'll just briefly go back and hint. Touching on the, the, the beginning aspect of it, and, you know, God set apart the Israelites from the very beginning to be a blessing to all nations because Yahweh was their God. But even Jesus, in fulfilling the Old Testament law, uh, gives a new commandment in John thirteen, thirty four through thirty five, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. God's commands are good, not burdensome, as we saw. And how how do we know that we can do this? Well, because we see that Christ, that God loved us first, because Christ loves us, and he obeyed the God, the Father, perfectly. Right? Again, 1 John 4, says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He obeyed God the Father perfectly. Oh, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, right? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And really and truthfully, I think we can only do that. We can only love like Christ if he lives within us, given faith in him and his spirit in us that would enable us to bear the fruit of the spirit, right? One of those being love. Loving is hard, though. There may be 101 reasons not to love someone. Pride might have hurt you, um, didn't love you first, or they're considered your enemy. Those who annoy you or don't look like you or talk like you enjoy the same food or TV shows or just simply don't agree with you. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. If it has seemed that way thus far, I'm sorry. Uh, just standing up here and saying that we are to love, it's not easy. It's not. But we know we can do it through the Spirit. We know we ought to do it because of God's command and Christ's example. But it's tough. If you think you love others well, but you don't struggle or find it difficult sometimes, that may be a yellow flag. I heard a quote from Mark Dever on a podcast. I don't know if he got it from somewhere else. He has a lot of them, but it goes like this. Love is inconvenient. If every experience you have loving isn't inconvenient, you may not be loving. I think what he's getting at and what I would just say and add to that is when we say we have love for one another, yet um, we don't truly know them, integrate our lives with them, care for them enough to inconvenience ourselves, is that really love? Do we drop what we're doing to to go to the hospital or pick up kids or groceries or simply pick up the phone to give them a call? Um, I'm not saying that it always has to be hard hard to love. Praise God that it isn't. But um, it may be a lot of times. It may be most times. Church, uh, remember that we love because God first loved us. It was not convenience that led Jesus, to to leave heaven, to come to humble himself, to be born as a baby, not convenience to be suffered, to suffer, to be tempted in every way in which we were, to, to sweat drops of blood. It wasn't convenience that led him to the cross. It was love. So let us love. Let us walk in love, the love of God the Father. We call God the Father, because of us who have repented and of their sins and believed as Jesus as their Savior through faith are adopted. the Lord is not the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, but He is a just, holy God, and the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night if you're here. You're hearing these things, and you think that you can accomplish them of your own volition, doing, 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 even loving, loving, loving others. um, It is nothing without faith. It does not save you. You may think you're a Christian, but along those same lines, the, the true follower of Christ, following Christ, is inconvenient, as Deborah would go on to say. If every experience you have following Christ isn't inconvenient, are we really following him? If you feel a stirring in your heart by the Holy Spirit, please do not suppress it. Please come talk to me or Graham or even Brian, take a break from his sabbatical. It would be our joy to do so. Fields Church, I'm thankful to see this in you and in our congregation, your love in action, walking with one another, loving one another, week in and week out, loving your neighbor, loving the lost, loving those we haven't even met yet in South America, or South Africa, sorry. Or in South America, but um, this is love that's worth celebrating, worth rejoicing in, as John does. Let all that you do be done in love. Let us walk in the love of God the Father, love in truth. John carries the letter forward in verse seven with the letter or the word for, meaning that all he has said thus far is, is for a reason, right? He even stops using the words love and truth as kind of a a breaking point. We've seen in the previous verses, it's all about love, right? Love and truth. And we can't really love if we aren't in the truth. But here now we're, we're continuing to talk about the truth by what is false, talking around it. That abiding in the truth, we have to avoid the lies and deceit in the world And I'll argue on as well that this is still all the while showing the love of God for others by doing so. So again, verse 1 through 6, we are to walk in the love of God the Father. Now in verses 7 through 13 else, we are to abide in the truth of Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. kind of continue to see some of John's circular definitions. The deceivers here are specifically called out as the ones who do not confess, but really deny the coming of Christ in the flesh. Uh, This ties back to 1 John 4, verses 2, where he says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. What you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. There are many in the world, it says. If we compare that to 2 John 1, 4, we contrast that to see the sum of the children walking in the truth. Many versus some. Deceivers have gone out into the world. That should be alarming to us, keep us on our toes, know the sea that we're swimming in, so to speak. But I think the sum that John has heard of, the sum of this, that one church then, the sum of many other faithful churches makes a many in the universal church. The devil, the chief deceiver would love to isolate ourselves to make us think we're separate, we're going at it alone, but we are not. That's why we gather as a church each and every Sunday, as a congregation celebrating these things. Walking in the truth, so that the the sum, even here at the fields, or the sum at uh, Remedy Church in Waxahachie, or Deemer in Graham, Texas, who we've been blessed by those elders of those churches in the past few weeks, the sum all over that we may we may be gathered and united in Christ. So let us not be overwhelmed by the many deceivers out in the world, for not only do we serve a greater God a God that has provided his spirit and provide, he has provided the church as well. And that's John's argument back in 1 John 4.4 4 again. Sorry, Grace. So correctly points out in a great verse reminding us that from God, that we are from God, the church, we're from God, and have overcome who? Them, the deceivers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. And when we say that those do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh is such a deceiver and the Antichrist. It's not just saying that one particular niche or that one particular phrase. Um, Though they are deceivers, it is anyone who denies the truth about who Jesus is, how Jesus is God, was with God from the beginning. He and the Father are one. How he was born of a virgin, lived, breathed, carrying out the whole law of God perfectly, and yet willingly take Took our punishment for our sin, dying in our place, being buried in a grave, and three days later rising, appearing in the flesh again, and of course his ascension to heaven, to sit at the right hand of God the Father until he comes again. Any and all of that, if they deny, they are against Christ. So be aware, church, right? That's what John says in verse 8, he says, watch yourselves that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. I've said a little, and I'll just say a little bit more, as far as those whom God has elected and saved. The loss here is not a loss of your salvation. John has made that very clear in other sections. The Bible has made that very clear. When you are born again, you are given a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. You are alive in Christ, a new creation. You cannot make your heart a flesh stone again, or you cannot return the gift of salvation because it was never yours to take. You had no work in your salvation, and you can do nothing to lose your salvation. I'll work backwards again in 1 John 2, or go 25 back to 23. It says, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. To who? To whoever confesses, the Son has the Father also. When the truth abides in us, we will abide in the Son and in the Father. We cannot have a promise of eternal life one moment and then not the next. Well, then, so what is this lost? What is this reward that we may not lose? Uh, I think this is the congregation's unity the ESV study Bible says, the integrity of the church. And I think that's a great way of thinking about it, that their abiding with one another is, uh, as they abide in Christ is at jeopardy. Will they allow such deceivers into their midst to, to weaken it, to water down the gospel, to create division between one another? Or will they fight for and win a sweet reward of unity? For Psalms, 133, one behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Again, we heard last week that our greatest hope and reward will be worshiping our Lord and Savior forevermore, but there is still fruit that we can, as God intended, enjoy on this earth today. We have a great reward in heaven. We have a great reward in the Spirit of God now. May we love Jesus, keep his commandments, abiding in his spirit, as the spirit abides in us. May we abide in the truth of Jesus Christ. That abiding, that image of walking with one another step by step that we've been talking about. But what happens when we go out of step or we're never in step? Verse nine, it goes on. For everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. This is the very analogy of walking and abiding, right? The abiding is like living with one another, our children doing that, where they're physically in our presence, that we're teaching them hopefully wise things. Um, But that analogy really only ends as far as when they grow up and move out of the house. They're not around us. But in reality, we are called to abide in Christ, to abide in the truth of Jesus always, all of our days, lest we drift away. Despite what we think, we still like children, we still absorb things that we are abiding in, and maybe a little bit slower though, but um, we are to consistently return to God, return to his truth, return to his word, to Jesus himself, watching out, being aware of the false things of those things not of the Lord that would have us walking out of step, away from him, things that are anti-Christ. But may we instead abide in both the Father and the Son, it says, abiding in his teaching, that the truth of Jesus, that truth. Um, saying it over and over again, I'm, I'm often tempted to glaze over such statements, especially you know when John's saying it in one way or another, but... Uh, Even like the Old Testament, the phrase when God spoke, that's such an amazing thing that we often overlook, that the creator of the heavens and the universe, our redeemer, would make himself known to us is an extravagant thing beyond words. The devil would love for us to forget that, but we should not. We should walk in love as believers who abide in the truth of Jesus, all through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? who worked our salvation through faith in the beginning and continues to do the work in us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? May we not forget. Graham pointed out this week something so amazing that we can have God the Father and his Son through the Spirit in us. Why would we want anything else? So that's kind of talking about us not losing our step with the Lord. Uh, again, may we abide in Him, not in the worldly lies and deceit, but in God's holy truth. I'll come back to those who are not of walking in the Lord, but uh, in verse 10, he goes on, "If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part." in his wicked works." What? What? Ooh, that seems uh, a little abrasive, huh? A little shocking. John saying not even to receive or greet people who don't believe the same things as you? This is, this is in the Bible. This is a very serious thing. Serious for the one who is being rejected, but also for the one rejecting. How do, how do we coincide this with the previous commands, the command to love one another? I have great news, if it's perfectly. Um, if we love them in truth, we will deny them. We do this prayerfully, obeying the commands and hopefully, hoping that they may see that they are not abiding in God, not abiding in the truth of Christ. I will say, is it loving for us to let someone live in their sin, abusing themselves to the point of harm or death? Is that love? Or if someone's walking towards a cliff, are we not supposed to yell out and have them stop before they walk off? No, it is a stop sign so that they may know that they are not among us, to use John's words. But in order to see the deceit and the lies, we need to know the truth. We need to know Christ's teaching. So when these false things are brought before us, we spit them out. We identify them and act accordingly. This loving, like other forms, can be hard. Hard when it's our friends or families or those we love and care about, who believe a false gospel, prosperity gospel, living in an open and unrepentant sin, or deny Christ in the flesh or any other aspect of who God is. It is hard, but we are to follow and be like Christ who even though in Psalms 1 it points out to not to walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers, yet he ate with tax collectors and sinners. He went to the sick and sinful. We are to pray, evangelize, enter into those conversations by loving them, not accepting them. The greet word here, uh, the greeting, greet one another, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can use the resources in front of me. Thank you, Blue Letter Bible. Uh, It's the same word used elsewhere to rejoice, to celebrate. It was the wise men in Matthew 2, 10. It says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Or the parable of the lost sheep. When the shepherd goes, he leaving the 99 to find the one. In Matthew 18, verse 13, it says, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. I'll just add verse 14. It says, So it, it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these littles, not, sorry. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This greeting is a gospel greeting. It is a life-giving greeting. We are not to rejoice with the unbeliever's unbelief. We are not to celebrate them with them as we do with one another in the church. We still have a relationship with them, for sure, but we do not give them a false assurance or a false understanding of what the gospel is. What would inevitably, inevitably happen, you can see it, is if we greet them, they continue the deceit to lies, teaching others, receiving even more lies. I think that's a folly of our churches today, that they did not watch out, were not on guard, were not walking in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. That they greeted in many of these antichrists. They were so consumed with the numbers, right, attracting them rather than abiding in Jesus. Where instead of walking in truth and love, they were running on ahead to grasp their own reward. This is a sad truth, um, something that we must pray and combat, but it's not by doing nothing, right? I'm thankful for for you, Church, Fields Church, seeing our members, um, the elect lady, who are abiding in the truth of Christ, not only, but are also walking in love, caring, listening to each other, helping each other stay in step with the gospel, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. I think our children are some of those most at risk of this, right? The ones who grow up in church hearing, able to say the right things. I'm so thankful for our children's ministry, for us pouring into our children, speaking the gospel, for you living out the gospel, loving one another so that they might believe. But may we never get weary, may never give up doing these things. May we be consistent like Deuteronomy 6-7, teaching them diligently to our children when you sit when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise, binding them on your hand, on your eyelets, on the front of your doorsteps or your posts, all the time. If you're hearing this today, and you have not walked in step with Christ, if you recognize yourself where you're at, find yourself walking on ahead, running on ahead or behind, or have no idea where God is, um, but are, are hearing him today, please stop and listen. Consider the truth of the gospel. Hear it anew today. We, we don't do altar calls. I think we, like Jesus, do life calls. Um, would you consider the gospel and follow him? Jesus said. Follow us only so much as we follow Christ. Turn from your sins. Turn from the lies and the deceit. Stop. Repent. Run to Jesus live and abide in his truth. John ends it and verse 12 says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. As much joy John may have in the congregation then and we do today, and seeing other believers face to face, it is a joy. There is so much more joy in celebrating when we have a new believer, right? Christ rejoices in the lost being found, as I read earlier, like the one sheep. There is much rejoicing given, um, those adopted by the Father's will that no one can take away. Least you think there's only joy in the salvation, uh, the act of salvation, sorry that there, there is also much joy in our sanctification, carrying out the commands of the Lord, loving others. When their disciples returned after Jesus sent them out, they came back rejoicing that even the demons obeyed them. Jesus responds, yes, yes, not shocked at the power of the Spirit of God, but says in Luke 10, verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. When we abide in the truth of Jesus Christ, we are able to walk in the love of God the Father, which in turn makes us more desirable to know him, and in knowing him compels us to love more and more, which demonstrates to the world the truth of the gospel. And the extra bullet point says all this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Church elect lady, we are unable to do this on our own. In our flesh, we are waging war. We have hope in God that he has overcome already in the end, but the day in and day out in the trenches, it's tough. But I wanna encourage you, church, to continue loving. Continue on the mission. Continue struggling in the hard, inconvenient ways that God has called you to love and to serve. If we say, like First John chapter 2, that we are Christians, Christ followers, yet are not walking in the ways Jesus walked. We are missing out in the joy of doing so, striving, serving, loving in accordance with God's will. I mentioned the field's training, but part of that says if we do all these things, isn't it a debt of love that the other person's not going to be able to give back to you? Yes, absolutely, it says, because of God's overwhelming love for us we are then able to love others. So fight the good fight, run the race set before you, not only for your own good, for your glory, but for God's, knowing that our names, all who believe by faith in Christ, have their names written in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you, again, are curious about this hope, about this joy, please come talk to me or Graham, or really any of the elected children walking in love abiding in the truth I'll end uh, in a similar way to John reading 2nd Corinthians 3 2 through 3 says you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. May we church walk in these truths today and this week. Pray with me. Oh Lord, God, Father in heaven and Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand, thank you that you are the one true God in three persons, That your truth has been written into every star, every stone, every speck of sand. We praise you for, for you are good. You have made us in your image to have a relationship with you. We thank you for your never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. Despite our sin, Lord, we praise you for sending Jesus, the Christ, as our Redeemer, who was truly human and also truly God. I thank you for this work of salvation, for the continued work in sending your spirit to build up the church, to build the believers. Help us, as Adam and Eve once walked with you in the gardens, abiding in your truth, yet were deceived. May we not be deceived like they were. Help us look to you, run to you, Help us to know that it is only by your Spirit that we can overcome the evil one and accomplish what your will has set before us. Help us to love one another. Help us to abide in your truth. Help those who don't know this truth. Help them to desire it to be made right with you through your Spirit, Lord. Please, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.